Welcome, movie fans, back for another Anatomy of Movie here on Popcorn Talk as we dissect another volume from the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right, we're so excited to talk about it, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. What a great song. Josh, turn that up, will ya? <laughs> turn up Mr. Blue Sky. What is this? Oh, no. Josh! Oh, no. There, there you go. go. Why are you messing with me? Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Josh is the name of our engineer today. We are the panel for Anatomy of Movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. As always, we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And uh, filling in for Dimitri, who is on vacation, we have Oliver. You might have seen him from Marvel Movie News. Yep. A lot of fun. I learn a lot from those guys. Nice little mentors. Um, but you can also, today, you can call me Star-Lord. You don't have to, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I will. Oh, well then. Sorry, buddy. You can be like Star-Lord's little brother. Oh, okay. oh I can, I'll take it. I mean, it's, it's all right. I think baby, that's Marvel. Baby Lord. Ba- oh, baby, baby Lord. Lord. Oh, that's perfect. That's yeah, perfect. love it. Um, and for those of you joining us for the very first time, obviously this this entire show will be spoiler-filled, so if you have not seen the movie, please put us uh, pause the screen, go, go out to the theater, mm-hmm. then come back and listen to us. Um, again, uh, we have, specifically for anything Marvel-related, we have Marvel Movie News, which you guys discussed today on the episode mm-hmm. at Nauseam. So you guys will get that Marvel perspective today. We're going to get uh, some of that, but also other perspectives in terms mm-hmm. of the production and so forth. So excited to talk about that. Um, secondly, feel free to download the rundown. as in, in the description, there's a link. Just download it. That way you can follow along. Um, and why don't we get into it? Oliver, why don't we start with you? Overall thoughts for the movie. Well, um, the, I think the franchise, you know, one and two, they personally they mean a lot to me. Um, the first one came out when I was just coming back into school, when I just decided to move away from home, and you know, I think that first one told a story about a bunch of misfits coming together and uh, really finding their place in the galaxy. And I feel it speaks a lot to me. It speaks a lot to other people trying to find themselves. And I think now that these people have come together, particularly in the second uh, film. Um, there's a lot more motion because we're all tied to these characters and I found myself, you know, tearing up at certain points and even points that weren't even necessarily uh, emotional. But, I don't know. And for the second one to come out nearing my graduation, it just is like, wow. It bridges, like, everything that encompasses this journey that I've been on. So that's just my personal take on it. Your body's shaking. I feel it. I feel (laughs) it, buddy. Yeah, it's a really emotional ride. All right. Yeah, um, I thought this the the second go around was really fun because admittedly I'm not the the uh, I don't know all the information on you know the world of the Guardians of the Galaxies who's who and all that but um, the you know watching the the second the sequel it was fun to see everyone together they they felt like they were more in their zone and they I love how the film like literally just threw you in it um, you know in the middle of the action. Uh, the, so that's always fun in Medius Race. Um, and overall, I thought the, the storyline of the second one was very easy to follow. And honestly, you don't really need to watch the first one because I admittedly don't really remember the first one. But watching the second one, I didn't... I, I mean, it, it set the premise for who's who. But I could easily follow along with the plot line in the second one. It was just a fun ride from the beginning to the end. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it overall, too. Uh 
you know, what's nice is that um, it's in the Marvel universe, but at the same time, it's not dependent on all that knowledge because mm-hmm. at, at, at a certain point, I will feel the weight of like, crap, I didn't see, I forgot this movie, and how does this tie into that, and, and mm-hmm. so forth. So you're right, Marissa, in that sense, it's it's it, it's easy, digestible, standalone, mm-hmm. um, and just overall fun. Uh, just reading more about it in the terms of the production, uh, a lot of care and a lot of risks went into making this movie. Uh, you know, obviously they ha- they they rode the success of the first one, but nonetheless still took risks with this one, which I appreciated. Um, and overall fun, I think to me, not quite as good to be honest with as the first one. No, um, you don't think so? <laughs> not as much. Not as much. I think the first one, the first one was just such a breath of fresh air, and part of it you have to understand at this point. Think of how many, not only Marvel movies, but superhero movies in general we've seen since then to now. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things everyone starts incorporating things into their various movies. And then obviously with Guardians, they're going to incorporate things that worked well, trying to build upon. And so I think, you know, they succeeded in making a great movie. Just to me, still Guardians 1 Mm. is probably the better of the two. And what I liked about this, and we'll definitely get into all the characters, but I felt like it, we stuck to our main core cast, and and then I think that's what made it easier to follow along, because we didn't, I felt in the first one, there was just, it was a humongous ensemble, too many people were on screen, it was hard to follow who's who, and I felt with this one, we stuck to our main few people and just followed them throughout the film. Mm -hmm. But even with the second one, I feel like, why personally like I can see where you're coming from with the first one but the second one why I thought it was a little bit stronger was that every single character had their own special story Mm -hmm. Um, each one had a story arc and I feel like by the end of the film it was completed and it felt uh, I was satisfied by each character's outcome by the film Mm -hmm. okay well uh, I have obviously my rundown of development but um, how since obviously you're, you're such a fan what was it like, and did you follow it exactly in terms of progression, and what was that oh like? I mean, Well, it's really difficult, because being on Marvel Movie News, we, we more than likely will get spoiled with all the set photos, with all the information that's being you know leaked, and just, you know, Twitter, people, fans, they look at the set, they'll take snapshots and whatnot, and post it online. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's a little difficult, and, you know, I really want to know what's going on, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, I don't want to be spoiled at the same time. So, but I think it was really cool working with Marvel Movie News because uh, we kind of, we didn't really feel like we were spoiling ourselves. We were being able to predict and theorize the process of Guardians and Infinity War and all things to come in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, you know, in terms of what I have, you know, seen, the nice part was pretty much right away they wanted to do the next Guardians of the Galaxy. Um I think James Gunn was always going to be on board. They really wanted that. Obviously, they have a good working relationship at this point. Um, and the notion was, okay, well, how do we how do we sort of progress in that way? And um, and they they overall did. Uh, one of the big things that we'll certainly talk about in marketing um, a lot more. But they they made the decision in terms of the, the dad ego. It's like okay. We're not going to say hide that fact. Like this isn't um, Star Trek into Darkness, mm-hmm. where we're going right. to try to just you know blind you from the, the what the truth is. And instead, we'll tell it to you so you understand. Like, hey, it's about the characters. Like we we understand you kind of get a hint at the premise, but mm-hmm. it's not about that. It's about David Hasselhoff. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it's about David Hasselhoff. One of the best moments for me in this movie. <laughs> um, you know, and, and to that point, like I mean. Uh, 
in terms of the way it was written, um, and you guys can jump in any time if you want uh, to add very certain parts, but they, they played around with how many characters they, they wanted to add. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Warlock, mm-hmm. who is part of the tease at the end. Yeah. Um, they were like, okay, well, you know what? That might be one character too many. Yeah. Um, Thanos was tabled and, and various other mm-hmm. ones, but uh, it just came down to, you know what? It's it's They don't really serve the purpose of the story. Mm-hmm. Let's not put them in because they're just a distraction. Mm-hmm. The cast was definitely bigger this time around. Um, and uh, Warlock was even, you know, thought of, okay, let's add him in the Infinity War. But then, obviously, they're not, they came out that they're not going to go ahead and do that. And they te- I think that's a perfect segue into, like, the third film, which will, um, I don't know if you guys know this, it's actually going to take place four years after Volume 2. So that's going to be a very interesting development. And it's like, how are we going to have these characters progress four years, you know, not being on screen? And they're going to go through an Infinity War. So who knows what's going what's gonna to happen? I really don't know what to expect with the MCU. Um, and I like that the MCU is not is kind of being a lot more secretive now. Because, you know, when they revealed their slates, we kind of, you know, get a sense of what's to come. But I love being, like, <laughs> totally unknown right now. So, I think that's the fun of it. it when we, we're trying to figure out, like, the storyline and how things progress, you know, from A to B. And also the fact that now knowing the, the next Guardian mm-hmm. film will take place four years ago, and compared to this one, to the first one, it was only three months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that shows there is probably a bigger storyline that like builds up to a four-year gap um, compared to this one, where it, feel, it feels like literally nothing changed with the characters, mm-hmm. because well, not much time has progressed. Well, that, yeah, I mean, in that sense, uh, the notion was very much to, okay, hey, we, we introduced these characters in one, there's a lot of questions. Rather than try to dangle the carrot, we're gonna overall answer all the questions with this second movie, and that's what we got. And so it was that progression. Obviously, the, the father was a big thing for them, and um, you know, uh, even you know, we can talk about Baby Groot uh, mm-hmm. in a little bit more. But but that was a that was a big decision to make of like, wow, how do we? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. the, the the first movie with Groot, it was so successful, and now to make him a baby. Even more successful. <laughs> it was even more mm-hmm. successful. Well, now we're gonna get teenage. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. Timeline wise, we're gonna get teenage. Well, group. maybe not for four years. Well, maybe Infinity War. I don't know. He's he's gonna make an appearance. How fast does that. this kid age? <laughs> it seems like he aged pretty fast. But yeah, well, I think in this film, you know, near the the, the credit rolls and stuff, we saw at least teenage group. So mm-hmm. he's either like a preteen, teenage state to young adult right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and also. Part of the development, what I, what I appreciate about the fact, like number one, a couple of other conscious decisions. Number one, um, to not have as many quote Earthlings, because that way the the, the emphasis stayed on Meredith and Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, kind of when when James Gunn did pitch this, they were like, okay, we it's kind of risky, but you know, why don't you write a treatment and, and show this? And so. He dubbed it the scriptment, a 70-page treatment that was more like a script. Um, and so, when, you know, I mean, obviously, when someone someone brings that something in, it clearly shows that they know what they overall want for this movie. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of you ease your trust and be like, okay, great. You know, I, I trust you again to, to go down these 
um, somewhat riskier factors. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Guardians of the Galaxy it almost feels like it's not part of the MCU. It's, it seems like a standalone franchise. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why is because it's not really grounded. Um, it's in the cosmic universe, and we're just now getting the MCU to get accustomed with the cosmic universe going into Infinity War. And, you know, we're so used to being on Earth, and I think that's why people take such a liking to it. There's color. We're so used to superhero movies now being so sepia tone, so much gray, not a lot of color. And I think Guardians Guardians is so exciting to look at. It's aesthetically pleasing, as the young kids such as myself like to say. <laughs> um no, that's that's very true, and like you said, standalone. I I definitely think this movie ties itself well to the first one. Again, you don't really have to see all the other films to understand what's happening mm-hmm. in this one. And I'm like, now that I'm like just trying to think about it, I can't really recall them ever like making odes or nods to like any of the Avengers movie mm-hmm. and how they tie in within the MCU. Exactly. So yeah, I, I think the first one and the second one of Guardians of the Galaxy tie well together in like a nice two part mm-hmm. block. Exactly. Um, so let's move on to story, right? Let's, let's talk about that. Um, why don't we start with the villain? It's always a fun place to start for me. Um, no, because, I mean, the, the villain's basically a planet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a godlike planet, which somewhat similar. To, some are making the comparison to Doctor Strange, although to me, completely did because the way the a- actual fight, you know, uh, ends up happening is way different, and I actually appreciate this boss fight, if you will, a lot more. <laughs> the final boss, yeah. I, you know, I mean, we're in the middle of the core, and things are happening, and there's there's an actual physical representation of mm. of him through uh, obviously Kurt Russell, and so it, it gives us the actual things to do rather than like the same thing and mm-hmm. just through like repetition. an actual an actual like fist fight that we're so used to seeing, whereas like they all had a band together with their own special you know talents traits in order to take down um ego and i like that they kind of tease like we really weren't aware unless you're you know familiar with the comics of ego um they kind of thought they made it seem like uh aisha the high priestess who is you know so bent on perfection she was going to be the main villain but she was kind of just like a side character um for yondu but yeah i I totally love what they did because we're not used to seeing like characters uh, necessarily um, band together to fight and stop something that isn't necessarily human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you go ahead, Marissa. Oh, what I liked about, you know, how the, the main big scene of, you know, taking down the villain was that it was so visually um, pleasing to watch with the purple color and the fact that everyone's still split off in their own locations, but you still saw everyone's fun personalities. So, like, not really once did I felt they were, like, truly in jeopardy, even though the planet is, like, self-destructing. Mm-hmm. But I never thought that, like, oh, this they're all going to be fine, you know, or, like, or they're, they're all going to die. Really, I, I thought they were all going to be fine. It, it was fun because we saw, like, still everyone's humor and personalities. Mm-hmm. During this time of destruction. Oh my gosh! Yeah, with Star Lord, Pac Man. Yeah, exactly. Definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie for sure. Yeah, there, there was still humor during the like the most critical moment mm-hmm. in, in the movie. Uh, scotch tape for me was probably <laughs> scotch close tape. Second, mm-hmm. you got scotch tape. <laughs> no, don't have scotch. He tape. did not ask Mantis, so he Mantis probably had the scotch tape, but you know, probably. Maybe. Um, <laughs> But to, you know, um, you had made mention of the comics, um, so I want to kind of dive in deeper in terms of because uh, 
they they from my understanding uh, they changed ego quite a bit. They, from yes or no? Huh? No. They, <laughs> well, I'm not too familiar with uh, ego himself, honestly. But um, I thought what they did with it was really um, interesting with him, you know, trying to get with not just humans, but like all races in order to find the right, um, the right entity in order for him to, you know, basically colonize for himself. (laughs) Um, But yeah. (laughs) Do you think it worked from, because now learning more about Ego, uh, I'm not really well versed with Ego's character, but do you think it was more believable when he was in human form? explaining everything because it is something that we do recognize with and can familiar mm-hmm. familiarize and then we we can like pretty much believe him and it makes it more believable if it comes from a human form saying oh mm-hmm. this is what i did destroying the world compared to if it was in a monster makeup villain yeah. form. in a way i did kind of want to see like the monster but i thought um you know him being that father figure still chris or uh, not chris Pat, star star lord peter seeing that human believing that he was his father, him being so nasty, this person who's not human. Um, I thought that really brought out a lot of emotion for him and definitely in the performance for Chris Pratt Mm -hmm. in order to take him down. Well, Chris Pratt, you know, one of the things he said about this script was that it helped him come to terms with his own father, which is interesting. You know, um, for me, um, I'm not quite sure if, it fully hits in that way on screen, like to that level. Um, I'm trying to think of like a movie that, uh, let's say much in the same way, like a, a sort of straight drama would be able to touch upon something like that. But obviously going through the process, I can understand why Chris probably did say that. Um, but backtracking real fast. Um, so from my, my understanding in, in the comics, Quill's uh, original father is Jason. Um, and because, James Gunn wanted to use Ego instead. Um, and this is where the whole Marvel thing sort of starts to get interesting. Uh, you know, originally Ego was with 20th Century Fox, so they, you know, they had to get legal rights and all that. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets interesting for Marvel, as we all know. Oh, yes. Um, so, mm-hmm. but, but it seems like, obviously, they were able to negotiate that and, and make it happen. So, um, there they have them. So, it worked out. I did. And I feel like the MCU in particular is really kind of... I think they find themselves kind of at a tight spot sometimes, so they really have to rewrite characters, you know, change genders even, which I actually really like. But I think uh, part of the reason is just because there is that divide with Fox and, um, you know, they can't use, like, mutant characters, which is really frustrating because I feel like mutant characters would work so well in the MCU. But hopefully, you know... Times will change with that. I really hope. I'm always having my fingers crossed. But uh, mutants are a species of their own. X Men are just my mutants that's, are awesome. <laughs> um. So yeah, yeah. Um, what did you guys think? Uh, a big talking point is uh, young Kurt Russell. So I wanted to get your guys' perspective on that right at the <laughs> beginning of the movie. Well, I thought it was a nice, interesting setup because, uh, you know, when it introduces, like, oh, these are probably people you should pay attention to for a bigger plot line 
for for the rest of the films. It makes sense when, and it's also uh, like a nice setup to trick us with that whole twist at the at the end. Um, I I didn't mind it because I was like, oh, this is this will be fun because it's already talking about how Star Lord started and like where he came from uh, and how he was born and like the the beginning of his character as well. So now knowing like, oh, this father. St- family storyline is going to come into play. Mm-hmm. I thought it was smart. Yeah, and it's definitely different from the first film, because the first film, that opened up with um, the death of Peter's mom, and it was so emotional and so heartbreaking. That was kind of the only emotional part of that film, I felt like, the first one. Whereas the second one, it was very, it started out very lighthearted, and you're like, oh, this is going to be perfect by the end of the film. <laughs> you know, eh, not so Far much. From yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, it almost, like, reversed in a way, yeah. like the two films. They marry each other. So I thought that was really cool that they did that. Um, absolutely. I want to get you guys' perspective. This sort of leads into our, our, our main characters. Well, definitely does. But um, the, between Gamora and Peter sort of having that, you know, they, they talk about switches, right? Gamora's the one that is pushing him initially, and then the two switch, where Peter's defending his father, and Gamora's like, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys feel about that um, transition? I think it shows like how how well that they know each other now. Like they they've been working together for you know th- throughout the film, but like they they really built that relationship that they can just trust when something's wrong. Yeah, and I think um, I'm a little disappointed with uh, Gamora a little bit, just because I feel like she uh, didn't really have that much of a arc out of everyone. She was kind of like a, a device or a tool in order for Peter to finally realize, and also for, um, you know, Nebula, that whole plot with her and Nebula. But, um, you know, Peter didn't listen. <laughs> and, um, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it was uh, they don't really listen to each other at all. And I think um, it's going to be really interesting to see how the relationship is going to be in the next film, mm-hmm. now that they kind of are on the they same They spoke term. the unspoken. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. They that Their relationship is so... It's not... What's the word I'm trying to look for? Perfect. <laughs> it's fully tangible. It's not know. verbal, I don't think. They don't. They talk, but they don't hear... They don't listen to each other, I don't think. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Sometimes one dances, the other one doesn't. <laughs> well, they did dance in the film. That was nice. That was nice. Yeah. Um, before conflict. <laughs> oh, before conflict. Yeah, I mean, when to me, when Peter is rejecting um, Gamora, I think... I think um, you know, perhaps you could say argue that she could have come at it a little bit better, but it just goes to show more how how much Peter really wanted his father. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that he was so hesitant initially, and then okay, um, this is pretty much after the quote unquote baseball throwing scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what I'll call it, at least. Um, then yeah, I think, I think he's um, he's fully, for lack of a better term, in love with his father. Yeah, because he feels like his father. He finally is finding his family. But he doesn't realize his family's already with him. And that's Gamora, Drax, Rocket, Groot. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I, I did see the tenderness that um, Gamora did try. She was like, you know, listen, I, I want this. She didn't quite outright say it, but mm-hmm. like, I want this for you. But something's not right here. And mm-hmm. you got to figure this out on your own. And luckily, a little bit later than perhaps would have been bad, good, but 
they obviously figured it out by the end. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Gamora had the that intuition that something was wrong, but also Mantis was another mm-hmm. character that well told the audience, and she was the one pretty much from this mm-hmm. from the get go telling us something was wrong, and she had this bad feeling. Um, so I, I think it was like two people that really told us something was wrong, mm-hmm. especially Mantis after you know feeling Drax the empathy from Drax. Um, you know, that led us to believe, oh, okay, something is not right here already. Even before mm-hmm. Gamora didn't even think something was right. Um, but I love the use of Mantis. We definitely needed an outsider, someone who wasn't in the first film, to really, you know, reel us in and figure out that's, you know, not all is what it's cracked up to be with Ego. Mm-hmm. I, I, I 100% agree. Um, speaking, you know, um, let's go. I, I do want to talk about the dancing scenes and so forth with Gamora and Peter. Um, in terms of the developing relationship, like, um, <laughs> did, did you guys like all the references, if nothing else, to, like, whether well, Cheers and everything else? I, I laughed every time where Star-Lord was trying to make a point because there are a lot of pop culture human references that you us earthlings would <laughs> would understand and i thought like Hazel ha- uh, david hasselhoff and knight rider and um you know the certain songs mary poppins mary at poppins, the end with yeah. Yondu. um i i because i understood you know star lord's um you know uh, his uh, his argument um because it, again it was done in a funny comedic way much to his character mm-hmm. um are we in? Uh, what about you? Are you in favor of their love, or you know, how do you how do you see it progressing? I mean, because because they here's the thing they toyed with <laughs> that idea. Like what what frustrates me is they made fun of the notion that you know TV shows or movies they they play with this idea of love and it's to get ratings or whatever, and then you know mm-hmm. it, it's that unspoken thing, and yet they don't solve it. Like yeah. it remains sort of. S- similar mm-hmm. in that way, all they're doing really is just acknowledging the fact that hey, it exists, but well, we're not going to go for it. The funny thing is about that argument that that whole Cheers argument. Uh, if people don't know, Sam and Diane, that was the the big it couple, and that Cheers argument was that it took Sam and Diane so long to kiss on screen because they they played that out so they could get ratings and people mm-hmm, that that exactly. that anticipation and the fact that they were like more self aware and it was pretty much tongue in cheek for the reflection of their own storyline mm-hmm. that like it's gonna be a while before we're gonna get together because that's what people want to watch people mm-hmm. want to watch that build up anticipation yeah for me like my reference would be like kind of the nanny with Fran and Mr Sheffield <laughs> how they never they took so long for them to get together but it's gonna I think it's I think Infinity War is going to be, like, the defining moment for them, maybe. And I think um, in the comics with Star-Lord, he actually isn't with Gamora. Mm-hmm. So he's actually with a mutant, Kitty Pride, Shadowcat. So I don't know. I really don't know how they're going to, what they're going to do with their relationship. It's totally up in the air, in my opinion. But I would love to see Kitty Pride. So we got to get <laughs> those mutants, Fox. We need those mutants in the MCU. Excellent. Um, well, there you go. Uh Speaking of, we've talked a little bit about Mantis, but I want to talk to, you know, um, one thing that uh, for me was, I think the, the movie could have been definitely a lot shorter if they cut down a, a couple of moments of Baby Groot mm. and a couple of moments of Drax. In particular, I think they took a big risk with how he treated in particular Mantis. Oh, that was oh. terrible. You are ugly. <laughs> oh. I mean, it was... How does that even think? What the... 
No, like, I just feel bad because, like, I really liked Mantis, not only because she was Asian, she was, like, the Asian represent in this movie, but, uh, well, not, like, Asian, but, like, she's the Asian actress um, representing in this film. That's what I like. But I thought it was, it was funny for, like, the first time Mm. around, but, like, the fact that they kept honing in, like, you're ugly, you're ugly, Mm. I'm like, all right, get over it. Yeah, I agree. Mantis was definitely one of my favorites. I felt like Mantis kind of stole the show, and I know a lot of people think Drax stole the show, but she was just so adorable, and... I felt so bad for her, and I think the relationship, I, a lot of people are reading it as um, romantic, you know, he's saying those things, so he actually feels something for her, mm-hmm. but I, I remember reading um, uh, an article, I believe it was with Cinema Blend, and Dave Batista kind of felt like the relationship wasn't romantic, um, despite, you know, fans kind of wanting it to be romantic, but it was more so, um, like, platonic. It was definitely more, you know, big brother, little sister, which I can kind of see that, because I, I can kind of see that, but I can understand why people would think it's romantic because usually, you know, when you're like kids or when you're yeah. younger, you're always like, you, you always pick on and make fun of and mm. like insult the people and say mean things about the people you actually have a crush on. Yeah. So I can see maybe from that perspective, he was saying yeah. mean things when he really didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. You know? Because he really did like her. Yeah, I love at the end where he was just like, "You are beautiful," but of course he did have to backtrack and <laughs> say something mean <laughs> to her. Inside. So, but I do like I like that um, Dave Patista said that um, about Drax and Mantis's relationship because we don't really need another romantic relationship. We already have Gamora and Peter, um, and and it built on the whole family uh, relationship. We have the you know the mom dad, we have the sis- the sister and the brother, um, you know. Oh. I felt bad for Mantis though. She just got knocked out <laughs> with the like, little yeah, yeah, just like the comment. Boom! But and, and I think like it's unfortunate for her, but it makes sense for this the character storyline because you have to bring it back to the core cast because they're mm-hmm. the ones you want to follow throughout yeah. the whole turmoil while the planet is destroying itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I just felt bad for Mantis because she got knocked out and we didn't see her until like yeah. the last scene. She of the wasn't movie. a fighter like everyone exactly. else. She did her part in you know yeah. initially. Um, you know, I, th- I think with her, it was a good example overall of how to utilize both comedy and move story forward. Because if you look at it, you're like, okay, well, how do we explain her antennas? Well, why don't we start with a joke? Uh, <laughs> if they're anything but for uh, seeing if the doors, the, the the doorway is too high or too low, um, then I win. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed that, and it obviously led to then, okay, she she can read emotions. Um, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I thought, again, that was a very good use as opposed to a couple of the other times where I think it was just, okay, let's just play for jokes. Mm-hmm. And that's why I loved her so much, her inclusion, because these guardians, they're not in touch with their emotions, I don't think. So we really needed someone to come in and be like, hey, you're feeling this type of way about her. Hey, you're feeling this. And, you know, she was the one who was kind of controlling um, Ego, you know, making him sleep. And it was so cool to see her um, really have her moment with keeping him asleep while they're trying to take down Ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she played her part, too. Mm-hmm. And I think also because her character was seemingly innocent and naive, I think mm-hmm. that was also why we enjoyed her, because it w- granted it was mean when everyone was like giving her a hard time and she actually was believing mm-hmm. it because she is so gullible. Um, but she she was fun to watch, and I wanted to see more of her. Yeah, because in the comics, she, she is a fighter. She has martial art uh, combat at but um, you know they didn't choose to take that route with her. But you know, in the future time she'll learn. Yeah, yeah. she's uh, with uh, Drax. You know, Big Brother got to teach her some moves. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a punch. <laughs> um, I thought uh, Rocket actually had a pretty good um, 
overall arc in this movie. You know, um, the fact that him and Yondo had that great bonding moment. Uh, I thought that worked really well overall, and I enjoyed it um, quite a bit. Quite a bit, indeed. Yeah, I wasn't really sure how they were going to utilize Rocket, um, but he was definitely someone who... Um, I feel like he kind of didn't develop that much, but it was totally fine. I think Yondu had to come in and really um, develop Rocket for future installments because, you know, you already seen the film Yondu. <laughs> I think Yondu had a really good send off. Um, he played his part with Rocket for sure, and obviously with Peter. Um, but yeah, Rocket was a little nasty. I mean, he bit Mantis. Yeah. <laughs> that was not okay, Rocket. But she was happy about it. She, <laughs> she was. Ironically, she was kind of too much. Um, I, I, I could see somewhat of an arc with Rocket in this film because at the beginning, he was so like Team Rocket. He only thought about himself, and I don't think he like really worked well with mm. the team yet. And then, you know, he, he, like, he used his skills, but then he finally kind of softened up a little bit where he realized he had to kick. He mm. was taking care of other okay. people. He was actually looking out for other people because he actually generally truly cared on the inside. So, and then like near the end, he I felt like he was more integrated into yeah. the family rather than at the beginning of the film. He only thought about himself. That's a good point. Yeah, and he was crying. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was really sad to see. He cried. Well, even you know, uh, just even that switch, right? So Kevin Feige said um, that whereas in the first one, Groot was Rocket's protector. Now Rocket mm. becomes. Roots protector and, and just that switch in itself, um, you know, when you have to care for somebody else, mm-hmm. uh, it gets rid of a little bit of that narcissism, at least in that small way. And then it just grew and grew from there as the movie mm-hmm. went on. So I appreciated him quite a bit. <laughs> Rocket or Groot? <laughs> Both. Okay. I love the the running jokes of is he a fox? Is he a raccoon? Is he a puppy? Yeah, he's <laughs> not a baboon. You know, um, th- those oh, those the... jokes never got old. Honestly, yeah, the trash panda one was <laughs> yeah, my, one of my favorite ones about <laughs> Rocket. So much worse. So much worse. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um, which, by the way, I feel bad for uh, Sean Gunn who uh, who. Plays Rocket, however, oh, it's ultimately yeah. voiced by Bradley uh-huh. Cooper. Uh, he does all the gestures. Yeah, but Bradley Cooper takes the <laughs> takes the takes credit. the credit. Mm-hmm. But you know, again, you got to give it to Sean Gunn. I mean, I know him from Gilmore Girls, and he plays a completely different, more weird, quirky kind of character. So, like, I know him from that type of establishment. So to see Sean Gunn in this film, I was like, oh, good for him. He's in a big movie, mm-hmm. doing like a lot more. To like this to his character and to other characters, he, he was more involved in this film than I yeah. thought he was. So yeah. I didn't expect him to have. Him. I didn't expect his role to go you know that far. So it was really cool to see that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, speaking of uh, Baby Groot, uh oh. <laughs> well, I enjoyed that. I mean, um, they actually built uh, you know an actual model of Groot um, for for the filming of it. Um, and just made it work. I mean, it's it's amazing what they were able to. I can't say enough about Baby Groot. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure at this point, if you're any sort of fan of Guardians of the Galaxy, you know that there's a separate, specific um, I am Groot script just for Vin Diesel. <laughs> which, if you follow Vin Diesel, then you already know that because he Instagrammed and all that stuff. Um, but just in general, I think yeah, what they were able to do with Baby Groot overall, I think I think they pushed the envelope a little bit too much at times. I mm. think we could have, you know, come back just a little yeah. bit. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, what what can you say about Baby Groot? 
Yeah, I see what you're saying because I feel like the whole thing where they were trying to get um, Yondu's, um, they were trying to free Air, Yondu. Air, Air, yeah, mm-hmm. it was a little bit too. It dragged a little bit, and I was like, "Come on, <laughs> get the, get it, Baby Groot." Um, but what I loved about Baby Groot, it's something that I really had to think about um, in the first play in the first film. He was like this big, intimidating thing. You didn't know what he was, and I feel like that definitely represented the group. They were really intimidating. You don't know what they are capable of. But in the second film, he's this baby. He's this little insignificant little baby thing, and everyone's taking care of him. And I think it says it mirrors the film because it's you know they're growing. Baby Groot's growing. This team's still growing. They have to be emotional. They have to really connect as a family, as a unit, as a team. And I think um, you know by the third film, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what Baby Groot's gonna look like. His next form. He can't look the same. He has to. He has to. You know, look some some something different. Well, absolutely. Well, as we saw again, <laughs> he's a teenager at the very least. So true. Yeah. Just grown roots everywhere. Too many leaves everywhere. He needs to Stupid clean up. Stupid teenager. <laughs> yeah. I did enjoy the the montage of him trying to get the. Um, Yandu's Finn. Uh, granted, it did run a little bit long, but it was fun seeing like every random, completely wrong item that he kept going back for. The toe. Pretty funny. Yeah, like, I don't <laughs> know where you got that. <laughs> we'll never talk about that. Um, absolutely, you know, and, and I think what worked well, right, uh, you, you know, to your point, he's not yet part of, the, like, if they're guarding the galaxy at the same time, they're guarding baby Groot. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, when it came down to it, even Groot played a part. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, luckily he finally figured out which butt to actually press. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, um, you know, he played his part. You know, he was he was valuable. And it obviously, what's nice about that too, which I'm sure was conscious, it, it, it sort of tied into um, to Peter's early story. Like, you know, baby Groot is small, and so Peter was small, so he could great for thieving. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! I didn't even think about that. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> Help point things out. To nice, you. nice. Uh, I'm sure I didn't read it, but I'm sure I'm not the first one to have to think of that. Yeah, it's it's good... fun seeing Baby Groot. It, granted, it limits his character yeah. in character development when you literally have to regress back to a childlike state. But it's great for marketing, marketing too, because I think yeah. that appeals to the kid demographics for the toys and the merchandise that they got out of Groot mm-hmm. from the first film. Now with just Baby Groot everywhere, it, it's also mm-hmm. very smart for marketing. Yeah, and Groot was definitely in the first film. He was such a popular character. I didn't even expect him to be that popular. But you know, I am Groot. You know, caught on. It's on T-shirts. People are buying. Mm-hmm. You know, little little pop vinyls. And now that he's a baby, it's catching on. Um, so, but I was definitely a little afraid that oh, you know, the baby it might be a little bit too gimmicky. But I think they utilized it really well, and it didn't. Um, I I wasn't like displeased with Baby Groot because going into it, I was like, ah, Baby Groot, you know, I'm not looking forward to see Baby Groot, but <laughs> I, I was satisfied by the overall result. I appreciate even even with the credit scroll, um, the I am Groot's there and how it just kept changing. At first, it would just say I am Groot, and then mm-hmm. it'd be like, you know, production designer this or ba 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 ba. Yeah. Um, so. I also like. Groot at the very beginning of the film when the whole credits were rolling oh, at the beginning of the, the film intro. with all the titles and we're literally just following him around dancing because that's fun to watch so yeah I, I did appreciate that because I mean at the same time like you know although you can make an exciting first action set piece it, it was just so different from most action movies I can't think of any other one that would open in that way just instead of focusing on the action, we're going to focus on the silliness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, we'll, we'll, um, we'll talk about other characters as well, but while we're on the subject, um, 
in terms of the through line of the music and things like that, um, how do you guys feel about, like, is it eventually going to get worn out in some sense? I mean, it, it, part of me is upset that he's handed a Zoom instead of... Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> instead of an iPod or anything, but... Uh. I thought that was funny, but I feel like Peter would be like, "Yeah, I don't. I tried the Zoom, but I'm gonna just keep keep my cassette tape." Yeah. Um, I don't. He doesn't have it. It got destroyed. He can buy another one. <laughs> Listen, the prop master himself tried to buy several Sony Walkmans, and right. they had a hard time just getting those. I, mean, I believe it. But, I heard they're you know, like selling out on eBay. <laughs> it's Marvel and Disney money. They can afford. Uh, another cassette it's fine uh, i i think the the music i don't think will ever get tired because it it i i felt like the music from the first one made made it really successful like mm-hmm. it brought back 80s music that everyone know and loved and i think this one you know brought back 70s and 80s mu- music that people still love um i think that's going to carry over because mm-hmm. the songs that they played are classic like you play them over and over again and you still don't get tired of them and i think mm-hmm. that's why they brought it back yeah, and each scene kind of had it like a, a theme for its song, and I think that's just like the theme of the film. Like, what other Marvel film is really utilizing, you know, '80s music within its films? And I think Guardians is doing it really well. And its parents are taking their kids to see this movie because they're like, "Hey, I like that song." And well, I, I, I just, I, I just worry about the notion that's too much uh, uh, of a shackle to basically like where you have to write scenes and be like, okay, we have to figure out how to make mm. the music diegetic as opposed mm. to just okay great we're gonna throw in the song because it makes sense and it's fun mm-hmm. um i love the you know uh, it just it, it highlighted their relationship so i didn't mind it in terms of rocket being like yeah okay this is not the most important thing so i get what you're saying oh am i blinking with my left eye again <laughs> so you know I, I i like the way that played into it but how many times can you really do that to be like okay mm-hmm. wait let's put on some music and then do battle well, as long as we have another intro, you know, because in the first film, uh, Peter was dancing, you know, with his cassette, you know, with the little rats trying to steal something. So I feel like they're they have to do it in the third film. They have to, you know, have another music. Well, they do. I mean, we have our Zoom. They set it up. Mm-hmm. I don't want to Zoom. <laughs> like, I like the cassettes. Uh, cassettes are gone. That's the one thing I can tell you with confidence. <laughs> Okay. No, I, I think they, they've established it in the first and second one, like how important the music is and how they tie it in diegetically with, with this. Um, like, I, I wouldn't mind it seeing them do the, the same technique for the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are other films that use music. If it's if it's done well, the, um, it can like really enhance like a montage or like an action scene. Um, I think another one that I can think of at the top of my head, The Martian. Um, th- that film, they used a lot of 70s disco music, but that played, that carried well throughout the whole film into certain scenes, into montages. And I think they can easily do that again with Guardians. I just, I just, uh, I just always worry about the law of diminishing return. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Um, but going back to characters, uh, let's talk about Aisha because you, you know, when we first opened up, you, you talked about the notion that she was going to be sort of mm-hmm. the villain. That's where it could have headed. Um, certainly doesn't really happen in this movie, but nonetheless, it's set up for later. Yeah. Um, so, what, what can you tell us about the sovereign? Uh, high priestess Aisha. well they don't like to be messed with and she's this character who's like I said so bent on perfection and the guardians you know they betrayed her and she is now going to make this character Adam Warlock she's creating it to go against 
and bring down the Guardians. And I think, you know, with Warlock, he's a character in the comics that was created to be absolutely perfection, or absolute perfect. And, um, you know, at first he's really evil, but the people that have been working on him, they're making him do these things he doesn't want to do. And the thing about what Marvel was talking about today is that he is a character that has, he's, since he's perfect, he has perfect morale. So it's going to be really interesting to see Aisha trying to turn him against the Guardians and do all these awful things. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't want to do it. He's not. He doesn't want to go through with it. And to have the Ravagers, you know, Stallone, like, I don't know. I think Aisha definitely is going to be the big bad of the next film. Um, to that point, real, uh, I, the, when, when Rocket steals the batteries, mm-hmm. what is the motive there? Because if there's anything that's sort, that you kind of, if you really think about too deeply about, that for me was, was a head scratcher. I never, it's not really fully explained for me. Yeah, like I thought the same thing because we didn't really see the end results of the batteries either, other than the fact that that just was a catalyst of why Aisha is now after them. But we didn't see what they actually used the batteries for, unless I'm I missed pretty, that. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure they used the batteries to blow up to, for the um. Oh, well, like part of the yeah, the, the, the different yeah, yeah. They use, I'm pretty sure. I'm more well, that's than not positive. why we stole the batteries. Yeah, yeah. no, Rocket, you know, Rocket. He, I feel I'm like missing the battery <laughs> aspect. He's just gonna want to do what he wants to do. But part of it, and it paid off to blow up. You know, ego to take down ego. Yeah, but if they didn't do that, then ego wouldn't have gotten there. Like, you know what I mean? It's just it's a whole chain reaction. I mean, I, I, I guess he's unless Rocket's an oracle. And can see it the No, future. Rock is just a jerk. <laughs> Part of me was like, why are you talking so light? You just literally insulted them. <laughs> and before you're out, like, at least, like, save it for the elevator or something. Like, there's, I saw people in the background. He's they could eavesdrop. He's designing new gadgets and guns for himself because he's selfish. He's a selfish trash panda. <laughs> <laughs> Wait to gloat until you're True. on the rocket True. ship. Exactly. Like, I stole the batteries. I stole the batteries. He's too cocky. We know Rocket. He's just too cocky. Yeah. Um, that for me, yeah, that's the uh, that's a nitpick. I, I would I would really love to kind of have that explained a little bit more. I just, I just don't buy it. Like, okay, he just stole them. Like, sure, that's the moment, but it's just it's just not enough for me. Mm. Right. I think it was also just an establishment near the beginning of the movie for Rocket's character. He again, he was only thinking about himself and mm-hmm. his selfish reasons and his ways compared to the end where he was mm-hmm. actually working with the team. And also taking down that monster, they didn't really get anything out of it. And so Rocket wants to steal some batteries because, you know, Aisha didn't grant them anything to pay them for. Well, they got Nebula. <laughs> Nebula. Nebula. I love Nebula. So, yeah, let's talk about Nebula. Why, why isn't she enough of a payment? <laughs> well, you know, Gamora and Nebula, their relationship is definitely strained. Nebula wants to kill Gamora. And we really didn't know anything about Nebula in the first film other than that she was a jerk. She wanted to kill her sister. And she does want revenge against Thanos. Um, But we come to find out that the reason why she wants revenge on her sister and her father is because they had a fight as kids growing up. And it wasn't because they um, did anything. He just wanted to see who was going to win the fight. And every time that Gamora Gamora won, because Gamora would win all the time, he would replace something of Nebula with something cyber cyberkinetic or cyber yeah. robot robotic <laughs> cyber something. But cyber. that's so messed up. It is, and that's setting up Thanos's villain villainry in Infinity War. 
because we we are not seeing a whole lot of him in the in the MCU, and just really getting a sense of how evil and nasty he is to his own family, like that's like we got to take him down. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and, I, and so I, I did like that storyline, and I um, I appreciated that at least while they're not the best of friends, they've at least come to terms, Gamora and mm-hmm. Nebula. Um, and I, I, I thought uh, she played it very well in terms of from, from start to finish, and you were always kind of wondering, like, okay, well, you, to your point, we we understand we're, we're sort of positioned in such a way where we think she's evil, mm-hmm. um, but then once we get the explanation, like, you kind of let your guard down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also like her backstory and her motivation why she wanted to kill her sister was very humanistic as well. The fact that it is really just a family issue, daddy issues, and you know that kind of n- not mm-hmm. really self-deprecation, but the fact that she does feels bad because that that whole natural sibling rivalry that one has with a sibling um, mm-hmm. that's relatable, and I found that like more uh, relatable for other people to enjoy and understand why she's after mm-hmm. so gung ho for her sister. Mm-hmm. And there's another sibling relationship within the family of the guardians. Um, and it was also interesting that Gamora didn't even realize that until that conversation that they had that she, uh, Gamora caused Nebula so much pain like since then. And Gamora, I think, um, by the end of the film, she understood that. And it was I'm interested to see Nebula's future for sure. I think now that we she kind of um, paid her dues in a sense, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, I kind of worry for her a little bit. Because I don't know if she's going to make it. <laughs> well, well, I hopefully. mean, she, I, I kind of hope she makes it because, in like, you know, near the end when Gamora and Nebula finally start working together and, mm-hmm. like, kind of have that bond as sisters, like, they, they might not have worked out all their issues, but the fact that they are, um, you know, compliant with each other mm-hmm. shows that they can work as a team mm-hmm. against, like, if they have the, the same motivation to get Thanos then they can work together mm-hmm. and hopefully overcome yeah, their I, own I issues. So. <laughs> um, well, why don't we transition into we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Yondu. Mm. Oh, Yondu. And for a long time, uh, the, the way James Gunn describes it, um, he wanted people to experience a more depth, uh, more depth, yeah. more, more serious version of Yondu. Um, and for a long time, he avoided the fact of trying to kill him off. But in his heart of hearts, mm-hmm. he knew that this is what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it, it ends up happening as such in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was heartbreaking. <laughs> the scene where he's letting him go, gave him all the uh, equipment to get back to the Guardians. Like, oh my god, no! Did you kind of know? But Because when, when Rocket, hand, he's like, yeah. I got one of each. You know where yeah. it's going. So mm-hmm. you pretty much start crying from that moment on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like the establishment of Yandu in this film because admittedly I didn't really remember Yandu in the first one, but the fact that the, they started his character off in the second one like he's just mister, misunderstood, um, maybe he he had the right intentions but didn't have the best results, and that's why people are upset at, at him. So like establishing the fact that he's just misunderstood and people don't believe him in certain ways, I was like, okay, he's gonna have an arc somehow this, mm-hmm. to redeem himself, and I like that was a good setup for his character Mm -hmm. we definitely saw like a big better side to him along with nebula um but i think his death kind of as much as gun didn't want it i think the reason why he chose to go through with it was because we kind of 
unfortunately, we kind of need these deaths to happen with some of these films because we need some of these characters to grow. You know, there's always new characters as well. Um, but I think as we're getting closer to the future, it's going to look different for Marvel films. Um, you know, I mean, look at Logan. That was very... That was a game changer. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> All I said was a game changer. Um, but I think Marvel's taking a little bit more risks with some of their characters, and it's going to be, you know, I think Infinity War is going to be really dark, and I'm afraid, I'm so afraid of Infinity War, like, who's going to make it out alive? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was Yondu's time to go, in a sense, because he he had a redemption arc. Yeah. Yeah, and it, um, it's, it's a, it was beautifully told for him, but obviously the implications that it has for Peter, you know what I mean, think about it, like, you know, I, I don't think ultimately at this point he feels any remorse for what happened to Ego, mm-hmm. but the fact that he lost both Meredith and now Yondu, mm-hmm. um, that hits home a lot deeper. Yeah. And the line that Yondu said to Peter was, he was your father, but he wasn't your daddy. And Yondu was his daddy, like, growing up, you know, stealing all those things. And I thought it was so sweet that Yondu kept him, not just to steal, but he kept him away from Ego, like, purposely. He didn't want Peter to go to Ego. So that showed that Yandu, all this time, as much as he was a jerk to Peter, he cared. He didn't want Peter to go to his father. Yeah, and I think that shows, like, he truly was a father figure for mm-hmm. for Peter, that surrogate father, because even though, you know, biological, yeah. you know, biologically inclined to each other, it doesn't mean that the fact that, like, he was more of, uh, like, he, he was more the central father parent parental figure that peter needed growing up yeah and then i see you know and seeing now having peter meet his biological father and showing like how messed up he is like yandu is actually the the safer of the two yeah. he's the lesser of the two evils uh, i i wouldn't even say he's lesser of the two evils i think he's just misunderstood yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly he's a misunderstood but yeah but that the arc that he was like a misunderstood father figure like who did questionable things at the beginning to understanding like why he did it near the end mm-hmm. like you believe the redemption arc mm-hmm. and uh I, d- I did appreciate sylvester stallone being um the setup guy for for yondu's mm-hmm. sort of problems in turn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then him coming back like. <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful uh, fireworks that was awesome and even yeah, um, cool. they're beautiful like you on the inside, you. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's what he said. Yeah, that's exactly what Jack said. It was, it was cool seeing Sylvester Stallone in this film. Um, I think he's, like, too much of a cameo to the point it actually did take me out of the film. I was like, what are you doing yeah. here? Only because, like, <laughs> granted, I love Sylvester. Like, hello, Rocky. But um, but to see Sylvester Stallone in this film, it didn't really, like, showcase his acting ability. It was more, it felt like another role that is totally in Sylvester's wheelhouse. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh he's just here you know Mm -hmm. and he was with michael rosenbaum with some of the other characters and those are definitely characters that we'll probably see in the future um so it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to be incorporated and also miley cyrus she was in that movie did you guys know that i yeah she was a voice i only went to see this movie for miley cyrus (laughs) me too oh my god that was very she was the tiniest why? part. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. some of these cameos. I okay, just... well, I, I I know that. Here's the thing. I don't remember her in the movie whatsoever. No, you yeah. didn't see her I at all. She was a voice. But um, but the reason why they picked her, and I forget if it's James or somebody else, but they just um, they liked her voice and the way she did things, based on how she performed on NBC's The Voice. Oh, 
And so they're like, well, why don't we get Miley Cyrus for this little bit? Interesting. So I believe, there you go. Yeah, she was the computer for uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone's character, Mission. Mm-hmm. And um, there was another cameo. Rob Zombie was in this film. He was one of the... I mean, Rob Zombie, Richard like, Christie. This is more of Rob Zombie's genre, though. True, true. Um, Jimmy Urin. Um, so many. Evan Jones. But let's talk about Stan Lee. Ah. <laughs> People are going nuts about Stan Lee. He is a watcher. He's it watch- all makes sense. Is he, though? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Well, I think a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, they're using Fox as allowing, you know, their characters to be in the MCU. But Marvel was saying um, because that they were three watchers, that's not the case. Um, but I was wonder- wondering where when Stanley was going to show up. I don't know. Uh, but it was a really cute little <laughs> end. But I wanted, I, I was expecting more, honestly. Like what, what, what would have made the perfect Stanley appearance? Like more from the watchers or more from Stanley? Well, from Stan Lee. <laughs> Half the time he's reading a damn newspaper. What the hell do you want him to do? I don't, I'm just used to seeing Stan Lee actually like in the film. This I think this was like the first time he was in like the post credits. No, he was in the no, film. No, he was in the film. Where? When they were jumping, jumping 700 planet. jumps. Yeah, like all those jumps back and forth. Like you saw him with the, with the other watchers and he, he's he just, what? he's like telling a story. In the film? Like, in yeah, the film. Yeah, he's like, back in my day. day. Oh my god! Why don't? Oh How wait! How did you miss that? Oh my god! I'm sorry. <laughs> he was like, it was two re- weeks ago. I saw the film. Yeah, he was just recalling like a story that, oh. um, like, like a moment in his life that he was talking about. He disagreed. Okay. Like oh. the Watchers. Like ex- expand upon that. The Watchers. Yeah, well, you, you sort of disagree. Like, how, how, how does the Watchers fit well, within oh, this okay. universe? Because, you know, Fox owns Fantastic Four, and the Watchers are part of Fantastic Four, so a lot of, that's why people were questioning, but because there were three Watchers, and there wasn't one Watcher with a specific name, you know, that theory was canned. So, mm. or Is he a Watcher, or was he just with the Watchers yeah, telling a story? Just, he was just with, it was just yeah, for well, comics. He was, he was yeah. just there talking yeah, to them. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I like the idea that he's a Watcher. Do you? I think it's a, here's the, it, it's cool because I mean, it's hard to say. How many more movies does Stanley poss- you know have yeah. left in with him? And this like if he doesn't even if he, like, um, in some sense if he never does another Marvel movie like this is a great sort of way to end his that's true his reign. As but like, I don't want to oh, think about that. <laughs> this is why Stanley's in every Marvel movie because he's just the same guy. He's a watcher. Yeah, but I don't want to think about Stan. He's amazing. I don't want. But I'm saying, even if he like, let him live a hundred other years, it explains all of his cameos how he can fit into every film. Yeah, I will accept that. But that needed to be like his like last film. He needs to agree, like, yes, this is the last film I'm ever gonna be in. (laughs) Like, but you know that's not gonna happen. Yeah, but I know I'm expecting him to live longer than me. So yeah, that's just gonna happen. <laughs> well, it, it mean realistically could an age. <laughs> I mean, just I get not it. you know years. Let's say or like actual. What time. do I know? He's a watcher. <laughs> He's a watcher. Um. Anyway, so yeah, a lot of a lot of talk about that. Um. Oh, real fast, I I, I do um sort of a semi villain Taserface. Oh my god, <laughs> that was funny. 
Like the, the, the run and joke and Taserface and how like ridiculous that name is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think my favorite part about it was that like everyone was laughing, even Aisha, who was like so bent on being perfect and so like eloquent. She even bursted out laughing when he re- he's like, "Remember the name," and even she started laughing. I was dying. I was like, "Yes," <laughs> and of course, you know, he dies. <laughs> What was interesting to me, um, so they got Drax's makeup down to basically 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. However, Taserface took um, three and a half. Oh, wow. Three and a half hours. So like, wow. You, you couldn't figure out a faster way to do him. Too. Yeah, I know. Even Gamora, she, hers was three hours because um, she did a time lapse on Twitter. I remember mm-hmm. seeing that. But that's so that's crazy that Drax, because he's, you know, with his body, his arms, his head. Yeah, because like, Gamora's like, she's got yeah. uh, an outfit. She's got an outfit, exactly. and the arms. It's like, what are you guys doing here? Because <laughs> he has lots of detail on his body, too. So that's fascinating. Yeah, he's, making he, parts. he's doing his whole body. I guess, yeah. Except for pants, maybe. True. So. Um, all right. Any other story bits that we want to talk about before we move into the production side of things? Yeah, I, th- I think it was, you know, easy storylines throughout. Mm-hmm. I do just like the fact that, um, you know, it speaks of the times about the modern family. You don't have to be blood related. You don't have to be biologically related. But as long as you see people that you love, that that's family. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be from the same planet. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have to be a human. You be a raccoon. Absolutely. <laughs> Experiment right. gone wrong. A trash panda. A trash panda. I advise against bestiality. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. All right. Um, so... James Gunn, uh, in speaking about this, I, I thought this was a pretty good quote um, in, in talking about his relationship with Marvel. We have a great, we have a really great relationship where uh, they let me go and do my thing, and I truly listen to their notes and ideas. I've never been told to put in any character or plot element at all. When Marvel trusts you, and I think I've earned their trust over the few years, they give you a wide um, berth. Uh, we just fit. So. I think that's good because, you know, he was obviously part of the first one. And the fact that, like, even back in 2014, they already wanted to do the second one because, mm-hmm. you know, the first one was so successful. But even back then, he was already committed to the second one. So he's just, like, so well-versed with these characters and the storyline. So he's been part of the production since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one was so influential because even, like, in the comics, well, first off, people didn't really know about the Guardians, like, the mainstream audience. You yeah. know, we have our Hulk, we have our Iron Man, we have Captain America. But when Guardians, you know, that came into fruition, we're like, who are they? What are they? So, but people saw this film. They still saw this film. It was Marvel. And everyone knows Groot. Everyone knows Star-Lord. And for, um, um, totally lost my train of thought. (laughs) But anyways, um. James Gunn. James. James Gunn. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yes, I remember. But like, now that the film, the first film was so, it was so iconic, even the comics are taking after the film. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that, like, comics inspire the film, and then the film inspires the comics. So Yeah, and, I, you know, I appreciate what he's doing with this franchise. I think he's having a lot of fun with it. Obviously, there's great care and detail in it. Um, it, it sort of reminds me of Brian Singer, early days with X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, like, with the, with the whole MCU, I, I appreciate that you can kind of, it, it's almost like a TV show or series where you can plug and play directors, but overall the producers are the puppet masters. Um, with this, because as we discussed, it's 
it's it's on the um, it's tangential. It's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's, to me, it's a little bit more tangential. Um, I, I like sticking with him, and obviously, um, it's already been announced that he's you know mm-hmm. he's going to be doing the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that. Okay, at, at, you know whether or not there's more Guardians movies after the three, at least he'll get to complete his trilogy, his vision mm-hmm. for it. I think that's great too, and especially because he, you know, he started it. He should be the one to continue it, and I feel like um, he are obviously already did a great job on the first one. That they trust him enough to keep the story going and keep mm-hmm. you know um, all this afloat. And I, we see, like I think X Men would have been successful if Brian Singer didn't direct the first two. You know, if if they changed the director the second time around, I don't think it would have been successful. We would have gotten a third X Men yeah. movie, but like, <laughs> like we did. Even with like the Harry Potters, you know, we had Chris Columbus who directed the first two. I think it's like if you do something so well right from the get go, like good chances, it's it's going to be mm-hmm. successful well, afterwards. Even with that movie, right? Then you had him, but then later on you had David Yates, and he's obviously making that continuation with fantastic beasts yeah um so you know you can pass on the reins but just start with a little bit of consistency early on exactly Mm -hmm. so i appreciate that um where we had inconsistency though was um in basically the whole crew everyone's out doing dr strange (laughs) they're still in the marvel universe (laughs) still in the marvel universe but at the same time it's like the same you know it's just funny to me that okay hey we're gonna go do um guardians of the galaxy oh Great, my crew is over there doing something else. So we're going to get a whole new crew, and, and a whole new crew they did. Um, I mean, like, you, that might be unfortunate on paper, but you can't tell on screen. Mm-hmm. So, And I think, like, unfortunately that, that happens, but mm-hmm. I think everything was still, you know, executed properly. Yeah. I, couldn't, I definitely couldn't tell. And I think, um, you know, the director's the one who's calling all the shots. And I think, you know, they're definitely, like, the reason why... They're keeping James Gunn, and James Gunn is doing such a good job is because he's keeping everything cohesive. And I think if they were to ever change, like, the director, if anything were to happen, it just would feel so detached from the other two films. I agree. I I, I concur with you. Um, they did shoot... Uh, so, so a couple of things I found very interesting. They shot um, in Georgia and Pinewood, Atlanta, uh, using 18 stage, which is more space than the original film, although, as, as Jane points out... Like, what he wanted to do very much with the script was um, have there be, quote, less locations, but more depth to the locations. And I think just even in, as, as we're approaching the planet, um, Ego's planet, the way we spend time of really looking at the stuff... The, the way... Which, by the way, I want to get your guys' perspective. When we're seeing his planet, it's so beautiful and gorgeous, but then when we see it, you know, from actual space, the way it looks, is it looks like a piece of crap. <laughs> right? I mean, am I wrong? Like, it looks so beautiful on the planet, in contrary to what it looks like in the galaxy. Those are just the clouds. The clouds covering the beautiful, you know, bubbles in the air and the plants. I mean, like, well, in, in, in fairness, I was like, if you look from the naked eye from the planet Earth, it's like you can't, you, all you see are stars. But when you look closer, it's it's more of a rock formation of an actual planet or whatever it is you're looking at. So, like, that didn't really bother me. But for the, the depth and the space, I definitely saw that when we got to Ego's land and he he's talking about, you know, the, the, the whole sphere that kept changing when he's, like, telling his story and explanation. You saw that, that three 
plain depth, you know, the foreground, middle ground, and background. Um, and I definitely think that's where they use the practical sets of a, a full uh, soundstage. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that visually looked cool. Yeah, and they were very much um, aware, and we, we've sort of, this is a continued through line for, through a lot of the movies we talk about, not just Marvel, but just in general, of build it practically as best you can and utilize the CG to then enhance it, mm-hmm. uh, which is what they did. And this was the um, I'm pretty sure that the first movie shot on the Red Weapon 8K. In fact, I know like I know if you go on Red.com or whatever their actual website is, they're advertising the hell out of this movie because they're so <laughs> proud that this movie was shot on that. It looks great. It's like gorgeous. It makes sense. I just think there's just too much to look at. <laughs> like it's def- I think the second one is definitely something you really need to just like watch a couple times to make sure you're seeing every single thing. That's presented on camera because I know there's stuff that I missed, so I need to see this movie again. <laughs> yeah, to that point, I mean, uh, Marissa and I saw it in 3D. Did you? Uh, oh you yeah, see? I saw it in 3D, and that's I usually don't see movies in 3D, but like I didn't even realize it was in 3D after a while because my eyes just got so accustomed. Because usually it kind of like takes a minute. <laughs> yeah, but I was thoroughly impri- thoroughly surprised by how like everything just m- meshed. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think we've just come so far, like, even as we've pointed out already, the opening intro um, with Baby Groot, but it just had that bullet time effect that we've known from The Matrix, right, where we spin the camera while time is stopped, um, and the fact that it's just done so beautifully, it just so seems like uh, second nature at this point, but all the while, like, it was also in 3D, Mm-hmm. And that added a new element to it. And a lot of times, like, when we come in, we're coming in on a wide shot and it's a swooping camera. That's what made it feel really fun, especially in 3D for me. So I enjoyed it. I thought it looked great. And especially the color palette. It was, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. Oliver, that, like, everything was so aesthetically pleasing. But the color palette was aesthetically aesthetically pleasing you don't really see purple planets you mm-hmm. know not here at least so you get the earthy sepia um jewel tone colors here mm-hmm. but not as bright and vivid as the pink and like the planet ego egos like looked like heaven but literally mm-hmm. in planet form um I, I like the color palette that you don't really see in the real mm-hmm. world it really wasn't until the end of the film where everything started cr- to turn gray and dirty what? Well, like, even Aisha's, you know, like, in that the, yeah. whole, that race, and everyone's just so gold. It's like, that's, it was such a striking color to look at, even if it's not, like, we're not used to that human form, but the, even that color was fun to, you know, to watch. Mm-hmm. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I mean? It, it, Marvel has been doing a great job with, like, even Doctor Strange, I remember, was just so vivid in terms of its colors mm-hmm. and where it took us. Um, that was on Earth. This is in the galaxy, and so you know. I mean, when you think of space, you can you can think like horror type space where it's just like dark and bland, or you can go this route and make mm-hmm. it as visual as possible. Um, and it's not just green aliens everywhere, or whatever. It's it's a very full palette um, use of of all the colors. So I, I greatly appreciated that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the planet. Um, it, I don't think it's 100% verified, but um, over a trillion polygons of Ego's plants were used, thus making it the biggest visual effect of all time. Wow. That's insane. I never want to get into digital. <laughs> like, I feel like I would just like, I don't know what I'm doing. 
Um, that's that's quite the feat. I get you know. I mean, again, it's it's almost so weird because it's like second nature, and you just kind of look at that plan and you're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I know. I don't. A lot of casual viewers that don't really know what it takes to go into films, like they don't think about that. And even I, I find myself not thinking about that. So that's it's crazy. And that was done over a course of three years or two years. Two thousand fourteen is when the first one came out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, to think that like this, this movie has already topped all the other movies, and when it comes to effects, like even Doctor Strange, when I watched that film, I was like, "Wow, I've never seen that type of look before," and all, all those type of effects on top of each other, and the fact that they already beat that out, and Doctor Strange was only a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they're they're obviously doing well for themselves, and the fact that they can pull that off. Mm-hmm. They definitely are getting the money for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so far, yes. So far, yes, indeed. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, so I know we kind of talked about music in general, um, but any particular song that uh, you loved more than the rest? Well, Chain by Fleetwood Mac. Like, well, because I love Fleetwood Mac, Mac, so I'm biased. <laughs> I like Cat Steven. I, I thought the, you know, um, you know, the father and son song at the mm. end where, like, unfortunately, Yandu's mm, funeral yeah. and death, but it, it was kind of bittersweet, but, I, like, I love Cat Steven's voice, and it's really not a song that I don't think people, like, the young people, millennials now, would be re- would recognize that song, but the the older generation probably. I, I think it was just a nice balance because all the other songs that we got in this film are, like, fun, fast-paced um, that could really like set a fun mood, and then this one was more like slow paced, and it kind of changed mm-hmm. the film a bit. And I just think it's an interesting blend when we're in this like far advanced technological state in the galaxy, yet we're having these old eighty songs and vintage uh, sounds being filled in our ears at the same time. So it's just a very unique blend of things that are coming into play. So mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. why, and you don't see that a lot. I don't think, no. I, at least I don't. No. <laughs> I mean, you know what? 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 It. I can. It's always great when you kind of mix two completely different things, right? So you're mixing, you know, new with sort of older. Um, I look at a show like Silicon Valley or anything that Mike Judd really does, and he's able to mix like nerd with like hip hop culture. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So like when you when you just go completely opposites and blend them together. Um, I think it makes it fun, but definitely James Gunn felt uh, a lot of pressure to make sure that this soundtrack was spot on, especially as we talk, you know, applauded the first one. He wanted to make sure this one lived up to it, especially with, with a name like Volume 2, mm-hmm. um, obviously indicating, okay, you know, the second tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Side B. <laughs> yeah. Side B. Mixtapes are coming back. <laughs> You've never made a mixtape, have you? I made a mix CD. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mixtape, and you have to like press multiple buttons at the oh same time God. and pour something. I'm not that hipster. And you, you put that skip? <laughs> no. I, I rerounded, rewounded, rewind. rewound. I used to rewind VHSs. Yes. Oh, Be poor kind you. Rewind. <laughs> poor you. No, I loved mixtapes. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, for me, I, I think um, I, I liked a lot of the songs. Um, in particular, though, I thought uh, Mr. Blue Sky was... It was just a great way to open it. I, I know there was that earlier song when they're driving to um, Missouri, but Mr. Blue Sky, in terms of the credits and everything, that was just a lot of fun. I set the tone quite nicely mm-hmm. for what we're getting into. Um, all right. So 
you know, uh, I have a lot of notes on the promotion of this, which is, um, you know, you, it's basically anything that, at this point, anything you've come to expect with a movie like this. But uh, a couple of the highlights, um, they partnered with Doritos for big, Ooh. big campaign. Were you aware of that? Did you participate in the Doritos? I didn't. Per- I, I bought a da- bag of Doritos <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> actually, <laughs> at 7-Eleven. And, like, they had Gamora and they had, uh, you know, Peter on there, and I think they had Rocket. Very delicious. <laughs> um, well, they've also partnered with Hasbro, Lego, uh-huh. Funko, LB Kids, Geico, Ford Motor, Gogurt, Haynes. Um, out of all things, Synchrony Bank, um, Dairy Queen, which you saw in the movie, <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, yeah we did. Um, did it get destroyed? <laughs> did. They're like, um, we're not gonna. I was like, oh no, I was getting destroyed by the the purple oh, blob. Si- yeah. Quick side note: What was it? Was that just like? His goo? Like, what are we talking <laughs> that about? Was what, his what, is, goo. what is he taking over these plants? He's what does that mean? The, that's a really good question. It's just, you know. He wants... It was scary, but it was pretty to look at. Exactly. Like, and you it... like you would naturally run away from something purple like that. <laughs> but it was pretty. Okay, because understand my line of thinking. There's a lot of sexual talk in the movie. Yeah. And Drax comes out and says, hey, did you make yourself a penis? <laughs> Um, the, to which the answer is yes, Drax, I did. Um, then, uh, you know, Ego's talking very much about reproducing and, and all these things, so... You oh, know. my mind did not go there. <laughs> like, the movie, like, the movie goes that way of like, hey, like, what the hell is this goo? Well, he's different than us. He's a celestial, so... It could so be a celestial goo? Like, what the I hell think, is this? I think it, it was, like, just his, his power overcoming just, yeah, in goo form. Trying to take over the planet. Just That was just that was his essence. Was it? Yes. Oh, <laughs> essence is essence. so much better than <laughs> Yeah. His it's, purple essence. It's better on the tongue. Rolls off the tongue much more better, much better than goo. Great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to utilize that. Hey, next time you're on a date, that can was you utilize his... that? Hey, do you want my essence? <laughs> that, um, Stop it. <laughs> let's just up there. Uh, I'm just saying, listen. I can okay. understand. I'm if glad the Dairy else, Queen you... didn't get destroyed. <laughs> if nothing else, well, you know, obviously the movie's PG-13, but there were parts of me when I watched where there's definitely young kids in the audience. I'm like, this is kind of very sexual for a kid's movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they're not going to notice. They're, yeah, it's they're like, too busy looking at Rocket and Baby Group. <laughs> it's okay. They'll realize it once they're yeah. older. Okay. I realized so many, you know, sexual innuendos in some of the films I grew up watching. So many. Mm-hmm. So many. Shrek. <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> yep. Fair enough. Um, okay. Well, um, the, the other big thing, um, it's the second most, it, it, it became the second most viewed trailer within a 24-hour period. Um, it got 81 million views uh, right behind Beauty and the Beast. Um, so... Quite a quite a feat right there. Yeah, I think that's good because I remember when like the first Guardian of the Galaxy, everyone was talking about the trailer. Like that that was like the big thing for it. And and plus this for for volume two that like I believe they had a Super Bowl spot as well, mm-hmm. which really got everyone excited for this. So it makes sense that it, it would track even better when trailers are like now a huge mm-hmm. thing to really sell a movie. Mm-hmm. Um I'm glad Beauty and the Beast still won that because that was like ridiculous in their numbers. And Beauty and the Beast got like 93 million views in the 24 hours. That's big numbers. But even 81 million is huge. 
84. 84 million. Marissa and her numbers. Nope. Um, but to that point, uh, you know, um, in terms of the actual trailer, right, um, they they were very conscious to basically not focus on this like, plot because, as we talked about, the plot's not that heavy. Um, it was more so, okay, here's our characters. They're in for a second chapter and get ready to have fun because that's what it's going to really ultimately be. Mm-hmm. I think that's what people want to see. I don't. I personally don't want to go see a trailer that's going to tell me point A, point B, point C. And I think you know, like Spider-Man: Homecoming did that recently. And so to have like a really fun trailer to just tease you and get you ready for the film and not get spoiled, I think a lot of fans like that, like myself, appreciate that. Well, it, but to that point, you um, what they did well was you could go by going that way. You could run the risk of okay, here's all of our funny moments, mm-hmm. and then you go into the movie and you're like, wait, you don't no, laugh. Funny <laughs> moments. That's yeah. Um, but luckily, they they, I, they didn't do that. Yeah, I don't know. I think so. Um, kudos to them. But I don't like because I saw the trailer for you know this one a few times and it was always that that mantis scene where she's like telling everybody's emotions and I'm surprised that they didn't change it within the film because a lot of times mm-hmm. that happens when you see a full dialogue scene in mm-hmm. trailer they'll change it up a little bit in the film mm-hmm. but the fact that they kept it the same in the film I was yeah. like yeah it's still kind of funny though yeah and because plus, now they added yeah. more to it yeah afterwards. exactly they expanded on that scene that scene was much longer than I expected it and I yeah. was, still thought it was really like, well done absolutely. Um, all right, so Marissa's favorite subject: numbers. Numbers. Uh, box office numbers. Uh, it made 145 million um, opening weekend. So kudos to them. They're making uh, that's domestic. They're making their numbers back overall. World, worldwide, last time I checked, we're at around 430 million, give or take. So it's um, pretty big for only being out for now like five days. Worldwide. Mm-hmm. Well, worldwide, it's been out for a little uh, bit longer. Two, two weeks. Wasn't two, it? Two, yeah, weeks. two weeks. We've only had it in the U.S. Like, it actually nationally. premiered internationally before it premiered here, for the most part. So, like, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Italy, they all got it before us. Damn, I'm moving. Sorry. <laughs> you don't have to move. You just go there when the movie comes well, out. Okay, fine. Why, why, uh, like, maybe I, I just don't know this information. Why did they release it in international countries first before America got it? Um, I don't know. It's a debate we've had in the past on other movies. And it seems like in some sense, like, you know, I mean, less and less the American box office is becoming not as important. And so... And part of that could be, like, the more hype it gets internationally, then the more the American audience, in some sense, is eager to see it, I guess. I don't know. I mean, but to that same token, um, you know, 80% of ticket sales for the movie came from advanced purchases. So, (laughs) you know, you have that. You do get some bonuses, like, if you (laughs) pre-order your ticket sometimes, so... I know that because sometimes I like to pre-order my ticket and go to movies by myself because <laughs> that's just what I do, and I love a nice bonus. <laughs> what bonus did you, you get? Gotta, um, well, I didn't do it for Guardians because I saw it um, in a screening, but mm-hmm. I did it for like Resident Evil, and I got like a free bouquet of flowers that I sent to my mom. <laughs> but anyways, Resident I, Evil and a bouquet of flowers. Yeah, like, <laughs> those two do not go together. I think it, came out, it came out by like Valentine's Day, I think. Like, oh, was yeah, it the new uh, Resident Evil? Yeah, Not it was awful. Not that it matters. The, yeah, um, no, it was terrible. But I love Miljovic. But anyways, I think... <laughs> we digress. I think that's good that they're really trying to, you know, get people to buy it 
uh, in advance because, you know, people are starting to pirate and they don't go to theaters often, but it definitely helps. (laughs) You know what? And I think that's perhaps part of it. I think piracy perhaps does play into it in terms of getting into the international markets ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah, because it makes sense that not to like call out the other countries, but they're more prone to piracy because yeah. this is an American-made film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so absolutely, and, uh, it, it's. I mean, budget-wise, it it was at two hundred million. Who knows what um, with advertising and all that? My guess, I mean, realistically, could easily clear seventy million for advertising alone. Mm-hmm. Well, especially with the Super Bowl spots and and, and all that jazz, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it's everywhere, everywhere. So, um, but I think, um, do you guys think it'll win the summer box office? Uh, that's hard to tell because it's so early in. It. I mean, it's only May. Yeah, May of two thousand seventeen. Sp- yeah, Spider Man's coming. Wonder yeah, Woman. I was like, we, yeah, we Spider Man's still- never done more than like two hundred million in general. I don't know. I think it's too early in the summer box office to determine because yeah. there are some movies that like will generate more than what you're expecting. And plus, this isn't the first comic book movie um, out this year, so we, we still have more to yeah. come. And by the way, I'm talking domestic when I say two hundred million. Not international, just for the record, before you guys stab me. (laughs) Um, It's still big, though. Yeah, definitely has a good chance. You know, I mean, at the same time, like, I think, like, Guardians of the Galaxy within a second week is going to surpass that number. Just like that. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the Spickle Me 3 might be a sleeper. Oh, yeah. Just take everybody. I I even forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, like, those, those movies do extremely well. Um, anyway, we digress. Um, okay, reception-wise, A on Cinema Score, very high score, 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, 90% audience. Um, the critical consensus being Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2's action-packed, dazzling visuals and irrelevant humor add up to a sequel that's almost as fun, if not quite as th- uh, thrillingly fresh as its predecessor. So... Very good reviews overall. I mean, yeah, I can I can understand that one because the like, Guardians of the Galaxy again, like no one has really done the Guardians of the Galaxy. No one really knew the characters or the stories, and uh, I think the first one obviously felt more original than this one. Going this one now is technically a sequel, so um, by definition, yeah, definitely by definition. But the fact that like we were like things are already established now. Again, this is just another sequel within the sequel universe of what we what Hollywood is today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that, like, it's not even the Avengers, because it outsold the Avengers with its predecessor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for Guardians to already attain that, it's not even, it's not, and Avengers is supposed to be, like, the big one that sells, like, everything. But it's Guardians, and that just shows how popular it is with just mainstream audiences. And here's the thing, too. I mean, it's part of that, but at the same time, like, one builds upon the other. Like, every time a Marvel movie comes out, it only builds the stock of Marvel, and you're like, oh, I gotta go see that Marvel movie. I mm-hmm. think. <laughs> well, that's me. <laughs> well, I have to. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I, that's that's my theory on that overall. Um, all right. This is where you get to shine, Oliver. Explain all <laughs> the end credits in 30 seconds each. Go! 
Well, at first we see Sean Gunn. He, is he going to be the U- new Yondu? I don't know. You tell us. And then we see Aisha. She's creating this guy named Adam. Who is Adam? And then, of course, we have these new guys led by Sylvester Stallone. Um, what are they going to do in the next sequel? Are they going to be in Infinity War? And, of course, we have the lovely, lovely, ever so talented Stanley. Is he a watcher? Phil thinks he is. Is he a watcher, Marissa? I don't know. That is up to people's imagination. Well, there's the end credits for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you make so many end credits? Like, what was the? Because usually we we get two. Yeah. So. Like, oh, I forgot Baby Groot. No, was there five? There was like five. Oh, yeah. Baby five. He's not Baby. Teenage Groot. We have a teenage group, people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I was. I think this, the one that stood out for me was for sure was Aisha and you know creating Adam Warlock. And the rest were definitely more, like, you know, comedic relief because we had such a, not a depressing ending, but, like, a sad emotional ending. And I think that was to uplift everyone. Because, and of course we had, you know, you know, the teasing of Groot becoming a new form. So I think they all were, worked pretty well for me. I think it's also because, like, I think Marvel has done a great job of conditioning people to stay to the end of the credits. Like, literally to the end of the credits until we get that post scene Mm -hmm. um, fun little tidbit. And I think it's more so because everyone's just going to be still in the seats. Might as well give them something throughout the credits. To yeah, just, like, keep I liked watching. it. I, liked I did it. too, and it was it was fun. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, whereas with the other teases, they're so serious and like like everyone in their seat is yeah. just glued to the screen. And it's just waiting. one scene and, at the end. Yeah, and this was just much. You could ha- you could have fun with it. You could laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the visual design of the credits in yeah. general. It was they were the, when they were dancing in their little bubbles. Everyone mm-hmm. had their little. Even Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> you saw him. Um, he's going to be in Thor Ragnarok. So I just, I love the credits. It's definitely like the best credits in any MCU movie. Um, but yeah. Any final <laughs> thoughts before we uh, wrap this out? Overall, I thought this was fun. And it definitely, I, I think what Guardians of the Galaxy does so well is that they're so good at tying themselves to each other, like to themselves more mm-hmm. so. The, the fact that it's not dependent on all the other films within mm-hmm. now within the Marvel Universe and it's not like oversaturated. Um, they're fun movies that you can literally just watch individually mm-hmm. and enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, yeah, you don't have to see the other ones, but yet it's still such an important like component of the MCU. Um, you know, they're building up Thanos, they're building up the future, and I'm really excited for the future, and I just think this film is means so much to me personally, because, like, you know, the Guardians are growing, and I'm growing into a new direction. I don't know where I'm going, I don't know where the Guardians are going, so, like, ah! Oh, the growing. Far, get- far away. <laughs> yeah. I just love that, um, you know, this, these bands of misfits, you know, a lot of people can relate to that, you know, being a part of something that being in a cosmic universe like we are, you're not feeling like you're worth anything, but you know, you find your place and you can do extraordinary things. It would be funny because it's all Disney owned if they made a quick appearance in like uh, Star Wars. We're like, we're not supposed to be here. <laughs> Oops. See you later. Uh, no. That's just fine. <laughs> Whatever. That happened with X Men. Well, that's like. Deadpool. Well, actually, I was thinking, like, this goes back way to the first one where Hugh Jackman, this is blooper for everyone who may not know, Hugh Jackman actually dressed up as Spider-Man appearing in the X-Men 1 movie. That's an old blooper. Go watch it. It's funny. Okay. And he's like, wait a minute, sorry, I'm in the wrong film. (laughs) Go watch it. It's on YouTube. Okay. Uh, (laughs) See? 
I'm not it that happens. crazy. <laughs> no, it happens. All right. Um, yeah, my, my final thoughts overall. This this is just one of those movies that you can overall recommend to anybody, um, which I appreciate. And you get, as we talked about, if you have the knowledge of everything, you're golden. If you don't, it's okay. You can have a lot of fun with it. Um, so I appreciated this um, overall. And you know what? For those of you watching, listening, please comment. Please rate. We do appreciate, and uh, we, we try to obviously cover as much as we can, um, but that's why your guys' comments kind of expand upon the conversation. There's not a chance in hell we can talk about everything related to the movie, everything that's on your mind, in you know, even in a 10-hour period, we wouldn't be able to do that. So um, do leave your comments. Uh, definitely check out Marvel Movie News for a different... Every um, Tuesday. Every Tuesday. <laughs> Um, I think they're great. Uh, you know, we love supporting them. Um, I think they have a lot to add to the discussion as well. We feel what we add is slightly different, so we love, uh, you know, cross-pollinating on movies such as this. Um, and as always, thank you. Yeah, we have a library. Did we did the first Guardians? We did the first one. We did the first Guardians of the Galaxy for Anatomy. That's how old we are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so definitely check that out if you're interested and check out, you know, whether other Chris Pratt movies, whether other um, Zoe Saldana movies. We've covered quite a bit. We've uh, covered X-Men movies. We've covered uh, Fate of the Furious um, mm-hmm. with Vin <laughs> Diesel. We've done a lot of Bradley Cooper movies. So definitely, definitely run the gamut there. Um, and a lot to look forward to, Oliver. Uh, feel free to join us for Spider-Man Homecoming oh when that God. comes out. Oh, I might be suiting up for that one. Yeah. <laughs> You suit up. Uh, and tons to look forward to. We've got uh, Alien Covenant coming out soon. Um, various other movies. So definitely lots to look forward to, including uh, Infinity War. When that comes oh. out, we'll be around then. So and Thor Ragnarok. Ch- <laughs> yeah, definitely keep checking us out. Um, we'll see you guys next time on another Anatomy of Movie. Bye. movie staff we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show if you have any questions or comments feel free to email or tweet us i'm sir richard wentworth and this has been anatomy of a movie to listen